0: This is the Redemption Church Podcast. For a list of messages, events, and more, please visit Experienceredemption.com. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here is today's message Good morning. There you go. Hey, my name is Steven. If you're new around here, I'm the pastor. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Like Jordan said, we'd love to help you get connected around here. Uh, If you got some questions about the church or if you're in that like really fun process where you're looking for a church, let us help you answer some questions so you can figure out if redemption is right for you. Because if it's not, then, you know, just go somewhere else because we want you to to get into the right place. That's really, really important to us. Uh, And so we're in a series right now entitled Throwbacks. And what we're doing in this series is we are revisiting some ancient truths, and by ancient truths, we mean 2018. Uh, But this one is actually even more uh, outdated than that. This series that I'm going to talk about this morning goes all the way back to 2017, all right? If you guys can remember that far back, 2017, our church was a a much different church back then. Our world was a much different world back then. And I preached a six-week series entitled Church, Inc., or Church Incorporated, and it was uh, a series that was answering the question, what is church? Supposed to be like, and we use the term "church inc." Obviously, very intentionally, uh, to to bring up two thoughts. One, uh, and and we use like a Google background uh, because it, you know, like Google at that time was like you know the most corporate you can be, right? Uh, and so like that kind of business side of the church that we saw emerging uh, really throughout the 90s and the 2000s, and then all the way up to 2017. We'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, and then the other idea around church inc. was that there was a popular documentary out at the time called Food Inc., Food Incorporated. Some of you might have watched that, and it was just talking about how so much of our food now is so injected with man-made stuff and so manipulated by, uh, by culture or by business in general that what God created to be really good Steak or chicken or whatever uh, that, because of now man's influence on it, it has lost maybe not all but some of its nutrients or a lot of its nutrients. And as you kept kind of going through foodie, we saw something, and it was this: uh, that not only uh, for certain things had it had it like decayed in its nutrients, the food we are getting, but in many cases, and, and there are many studies out there saying like, no, the way we eat right now, uh, not only is it not giving us the nutrients that we need. It's killing us, right? Like, it's hurting us. It's something that God made that was supposed to be so good food had been manipulated so much by man and culture that it was no longer serving its intended purpose. It was causing harm. So, Church Inc. is an examination of what is church supposed to be like? Because is it possible that it's been over 2,000 years or uh, at least now in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, so manipulated by culture that was what was supposed to be so good can actually harm us now? Can, can church fail, fail so much to be church that God intended it to be, that not only does it lose its power, but if it goes too far, it can actually damage us? So that was the point of the sermon series six years ago. We were early on as a church. We were just uh, uh, probably like three or four months old when we originally went in to this series. I'm grateful by, um, by God's blessing and by the power of His Holy Spirit that as I re-listen to those sermons, uh, those six sermons, now six years later, I can see God's faithful presence, his faithful protection and preservation of his church. I'm very grateful for that. And I want to revisit some of these truths this morning uh, so that as we move on into our future, or for some of you who are kind of coming in from other places and you're asking yourself the question, what is church supposed to be like, or what is redemption like? And as I do this, I think there there could be a tendency um, to feel in this sermon that I'm being very indicting, and I do want to be humble, okay? I want to be grateful to a God who has revealed some things to us as a church family, um, I, I, as, a, as a, a pastor or as we look at the Word of God as Christians, we are allowed to be indicting of certain things. If they become unbiblical, we can call that out, okay? Um, but but I, I'm not a huge fan of infighting, and so I do want to be careful this morning. I want to be humble in that, and I also want you to know this, that we, under no uh, idea do we think we're perfect, okay? And so we're, we'll always be open to the Holy Spirit and where He is taking us. As the body of Christ, okay? Uh, Now, there are four statements that I want to read at the beginning. Uh, These were the four of the six sermons that I preached back then, and I want to read those four statements, and then we'll visit a text, and then we'll um, return to these four statements. Now, six years later, I think uh, these four statements are actually more prevalent or more into uh, the hearts and the minds of the entire body of Christ than they were six years ago, which kind of tells me that we were headed in the right direction. Six years ago. Uh, Here they are. Statement one The church is not a product to consume, but about experiencing the presence of God. The presence of God. Church is not a social club, but a family. Church is not a building, but a body. Church is not a business of paid professionals, but a body of equipped disciples. Let me hit him one more time. The church is not a product to consume, but about experiencing the presence of God. The church is not a social club, but a family. The church is not a building, but a body. The church is not a business of paid professionals, but a body of equipped disciples. Four statements that we, we, we kind of wrote down uh, six years ago now when he said, as we do this, as, uh, as we follow God's prompting, uh, as we walk in unity as an elder team and as a leadership team, we want these statements right here uh, to kind of be guiding statements. Now, eventually, we kind of summarize all of these in our prevailing statement of who we are as a body uh, and our top value when we say that this is God's church. And if this is God's church, then these things need to be true underneath it. Now, this morning, uh, there's a couple of things that could happen. Some of you are going to hope that I would go further than I go this morning. Some of you might go, wow, that seems a little too far, right? Like you would want me to either push further into what I will call historical Christian uh, methodological practice and also uh, doctrine. And others of you might go, wow, you went a little too far. And so both of those are, are, might happen this morning, and, and my response to that is this, uh, that we move as we feel the Holy Spirit prompting us to move. And we're not the same church that we were six years ago, and in some ways we will not be the same church that we are uh, right now in six years. But what will be the same is the, the what is underneath. And the practices on the outside might look slightly different. But as long as we are responsive to the Holy Spirit and walk in unity as a leadership team and as a body, then God will take us to be exactly who he wants us to be. Let me give you an example. Six years ago, um, we, we were clear in biblical truth. We were clear in preaching the word of God. We've always been a church that believes in the Bible. We were not nearly as vocal six years ago on the issues of our day as we are right now. Why? The world changed. The world changed dramatically between now and then. And so now we're a church that's really clear. And there's some people who may not like it. Like, Stephen, you're too clear on political issues. I understand your opinion. You're wrong. I'm going to keep talking. Okay? And, and, and the point, well, let me say it this way. You're wrong <laughs> if you're here. Like, if, if, it, if you hate it, you probably just should go somewhere else, right? Because um, it, it's not going to stop, right? The point being why, that God, he moves us in a direction, and you follow the promptings of his Holy Spirit. And you say, how do you know the Holy Spirit? Two reasons. One, excuse me. One, they align with Scripture always, and two, he moves us in unity as a church family and in unity as a church leadership team, okay? It's awesome. And, and then you go, okay, the Holy Spirit's on us to do this and to move this direction. Now, let me, uh, again, I'm doing a lot of setup this morning, but I, I am trying to summarize six sermons into one, okay? So bear with me here. I got six intros, okay? Just kidding. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this as a, an example. I'm going to stand right here and say this. That over the last 30 years, what we have seen is the church as a whole in our country um, moved from what was more historical, traditional practice. And this began to emerge in the 90s and then the early 2000s. And there were good reasons on why it did. I can't explore all of them right now, but there were good reasons. And what happened is the church as a whole began to move. And the church as a whole began to move over to what I'll call this polar. And what this pole was is what we would refer to today as either like modern church. or uh, we would use the, the term, like, the megachurch movement. And when I do this, it's because megachurch is technically a 2,000-person church. But megachurch has begun to mean a certain style of church, okay? Like the modern church. And what happened is the church as a whole, because it looked over and it goes, wow, people enjoy coming to church again. That's awesome, There's joy, there's energy. That's really great. There's some really good things. And what happened is the church as a whole kind of started moving itself in this direction. But then, uh, and remember, I preached this back in 2017, but then back in 2020, something happened. A lot of things happened in 2020. What happened in 2020? The church as a whole that was standing right here on this brink, uh, on this line, right, uh, the, the 2020 kind of opened everything up, and here's what we saw. The world changed, culture changed, and there was this, like, moment, this moment in time of, like, will the church be what the church needs to be? And we looked at it 2020, and overwhelmingly, we saw that the answer was no. No, it was not. What happened? So many people, and I'll talk about this a little bit more right here, so many people that were straddling this line. And over here, I would say, is a moment where, where, where the practice and the doctrine of the Christian church ceases to actually be Christian. It falls over into a theological liberalism that is no longer Orthodox Christianity. And what we've been experiencing over the last three years is this, the church has been straddling, many in the church are straddling this position, and they're like somebody who's standing, and now they're being split so far, and they can't do the splits anymore, so they're either exploding, or they're deciding we have to go one side or the other. This is what's happening across the country. And what we're grateful for is that in like 2017, we felt like God kind of kept pushing us in this direction. And so when 2020 hit, we were a little further enough, far enough away that that we weren't tempted in any way to fall over into the abyss like so many bodies of Christ have done. Now, here's why this is important for all of us, by the way. As the church goes, so goes the culture. The church fails first. I'm going to preach on this in a couple of weeks. Um, this is like uh, the, the end of the throwback series. Next week, uh, I've got two like precursor sermons, and then starting October 22nd, uh, we do like one, if you're new around here, we do one big series every year. We, we spend some money in advertising. We invite people to church, all of that kind of stuff, and, uh, and that's going to kick off on October 22nd, and it's a series called Two Lies and a Truth. Two lies and a truth. And it's based off of Isaiah 59, 14. This is what this verse says. You're going to hear this verse a lot in the next couple weeks. It says, truth has stumbled in the public squares. Hasn't it? Isn't that like the most obvious statement in the world right now? Like, we look out right now and we're like, they're lying. You're like, who? You're like, everybody. Everybody who has a microphone, it seems like, out in the public squares. Like, you listen, you go, that doesn't sound right. Um, uh, The evidence is completely against that, right? Truth has stumbled in the public squares. And one of the sermons I'm going to preach is you go, yeah, truth has stumbled in the public squares. All those people in the public squares, they're the worst. They're horrible. You know why truth has stumbled in the public squares? Because the church failed first. That's why. Because church ceased to be what it was supposed to be. This is why it's so important that we have this talk. This is why it's so important that we talk about, God, where do you want us to go? Who do you want us to be? And God is moving in his church. That's one of the cool things about 2020 is God used 2020 as a way of just, like, restructuring and reformatting his entire body. And he's still in the process of doing it. So this does matter. It matters immensely. It matters for us here. It matters for us as family. It matters for us as, as an individual church. But it matters for our culture and our church as a whole across the country. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Second Kings 23. I'm done with my intro. Second Kings 23. And I want to look at three verses here. And these verses talk about the idea of reforming, okay, the idea of of identifying something that is wrong, and then a biblical process then for moving into something that is right. And I want to pull out some principles. Uh, This is telling the story of King Josiah. Josiah became king at a very early age. When I say early, I mean eight. Some of you have an eight-year-old. Imagine him or her as king, all right? That's a little scary. Josiah became king at eight, and then 18 years later, so now he's 26, right, uh, he, he, he gets to this moment where his eyes are opened. He gets to this moment, he's like, whoa, and, uh, and, and the way it happened is this, he, he reads a book, He reads a book. Some of you, you've had eye-opening moments because you've read a book, right? And you go, "Wow, this book, like, this changed my life," right? And then many of you, you come to me, and then you give me that book, right? And you're like, "Stephen, you should read this book," right? And I do want you to know, if you give me a book, I probably will read it, unless if it's a really dumb book, then I won't read it. But I won't tell you that it's a dumb book. But I will put it on my shelf until long enough until you ask me about the book, and I can still show you that I have the book. Okay. Other than that, I may read the book, but I'm going to put it in my list. And the new book always goes to the bottom of the list. So check back with me in two years. Got it? Okay. Josiah reads a book and it prompts something in him. Let's read it. He says, Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered together to him. And so Josiah reads this book, he's moved by the word of God, and as he reads the book, he looks out, and he goes, wow, I need to get all of the leaders around here, we gotta talk about what I just read. And so he reads this book, and he gets everybody around, uh, and he says, guys, uh, have you seen this? And sadly, uh, this is exactly what is needed right now in the American church, that the leaders of the American church, so many of them over the last three to ten years, the people who were leading the charge in the 2000s and in the 2000s. They ran up against this poll that I've been talking about. And what happened in 2020, we saw this over and over and over, that our leading institutions and organizations across the country fell off into the abyss. Leaving the church, by and large, we have, of course, the authority of Christ and the authority of the Holy Spirit, but by and large, leaving the church uh, from an organizational and institutional and a human perspective, almost leaderless, across the country, because all of these organizations that were setting the tone have ceased to be what I would call orthodox Christianity. (laughs) Christianity Today, Relevant Magazine, the Gospel Coalition, Andy Stanley, Catalyst Conference, the Global Leadership Summit, all of these things that were setting a pace have now fallen off into an abyss. And they've, they've, they've bought into the lies of the world. Leaving the church uh, as a whole, almost, from a human perspective, leaderless. And, um, and, and, and Josiah saw that there's a problem if the leaders aren't bought in first. And so uh, I can tell you, our, our nation is in need of a massive, massive realignment and retraining of our spiritual leadership across the country. Massive. And, uh, and I talk to people, and when I talk to them, and they say, man, isn't it just shocking? And I said, no, it's not shocking where many churches and Christians are going, and it's not shocking because I know who taught them how to go there because I was in the same meetings and the same conferences. I was there, and by God's grace, by God's grace, right, we, we haven't arrived where some of those have arrived at, but, but that's the thing. It's no question, it's no doubt that the church is where it's at as a whole right now when you look at who was leading it over the last 10 and 20 years. We're in a massive shift. We need a massive realignment of our training. By the way, um, as a church, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. And so we are going to host for the first time a conference in March of 2023 where we are going to invite pastors and national speakers from across the country to come in and to train local pastors, to train us, and also to train our congregation. Okay? And so you guys will hear a lot more about this over the next couple weeks and months. Um, but there's no good to just stand up and to call something out if you're not going to bring a solution to the table. Amen? And so we're going to do everything that we can. Because as goes the church, so goes the culture, right? And so if we care about the future of our culture, we got to care about the present state of our church. All right. So that's the first thing that Josiah does. Here's the second thing. He says, And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests, and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. So all the short people, we got invited too. Amen? All right. And all you tall giants. Okay. All the people, both small and great. So what does he say next? He said, No, let's get everybody. Let not just the culture makers, but also the people, not just the elites but also the deplorables, right? Now, everybody, okay? Um, he said, let's get them all. Let's get everybody in the same room. Let's get them all together, and, uh, and let's reexamine the book. And Josiah teaches us something here, very important, by the way, because what he's going to do next is he says, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. Josiah's like, hey, I found a book. It's called the Bible. And Josiah's teaching us something important here, by the way. He's teaching us that when we're going through a process of reformation, uh, that we, uh, the standard of what we reform back to is not a man-made standard, but the standard of the Word of God. That's the standard we're reforming back to. We're not reforming back to, well, what did we do 20 years ago? Sometimes I'll hear this, people will be like, oh, I don't know, Stephen. You get so political, and it's like the religious right or the moral majority of the 80s and the 90s is in an uprising again. No, 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 no. When I'm getting political, I'm not reverting back to 1980s or 1990s Christianity. I'm reverting back to the very word of God that told us to disciple the nations under the rule and the authority of Christ. We're going back to the original book. Not the church of the 80s or the 90s. We're going back to the fact that Jesus said he was going to go to every city and town and he was going to bring a new message and the word message there meant a new operating system for how we do life here on this world. That's what we're going back to. And we got scared along the way. We didn't get scared, we got complacent. And then our complacency later led to fear. That was the trajectory. The church was not afraid in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s and the 90s. It was complacent. And then, because of its complacency, it lost its position, and then when it lost its position, it became afraid. That's what happened. And so in order to not be afraid, or in order not to be attacked, what happened? All of the leading institutions, organizations, and people who were um, straddling the line of Orthodox Christianity and uh, theological liberalism that it ceases to be Christianity, many of them, out of their fear, just fell over to the other side. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. It's time to bring back all of the people, by the way, that are right here on the line and pull them back to a center that is still Orthodox Christianity. So, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. In other words, he, uh, he read Deuteronomy, the entire book of Deuteronomy, 31 chapters. And what he did is he got all the people there and he said, all right, everybody, stand up for the reading of the word, right? He got it in there and then he read 31 chapters. So if you ever complain right, about our Bible reading or how long you have to stand at church, that was a long day. He read all 31 chapters of the book of Deuteronomy, the book of the covenant, and the word covenant there is important because what Josiah was saying is this, our system has gotten so messed up that it's actually taken us out of proper relationship with God. Come on is it not possible to see that somehow in many circles the church systems have gotten so messed up that it has taken us out of proper relationship with God? It's all over. It's all over. And it has. And so he gets them all in. He says, we've got to return to proper relationship with God. And we're going to do that by reading the book of the covenant, all 31 chapters uh, of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, a covenant, by the way, is a, uh, it's a strongest type of human relationship that can be formed. That's why we call it the marriage covenant. Uh, a covenant, a couple things about a covenant. Uh, a covenant, uh, it has both legal and relational elements, so like legal and love. Uh, and so those two things coming together. Uh, in a covenant, there are intended blessings and cursings based upon obedience or disobedience. And in a covenant, uh, there's this idea... The idea that you would rather die than depart from a covenant. It's all a marriage covenant, right? When you enter into it, what are you saying? You're saying, I'd rather die than depart, right? That's a covenant. I'd rather die than depart. And ultimately, we enter into a covenant with the heavenly father. And how did we enter in? Well, he didn't want us to die, so he died for us so that he would never have to depart from us. So we enter into a covenant, With him. And Josiah says, We got to get back into covenant here. We got to get back into relationship. And so then he reads out to them the entire chapter, and then at the end of it it says, And the king stood by the pillar. And he made a covenant before the Lord. In other words, Josiah is saying, I would rather die than depart from this, Lord. I would rather die than to depart uh, from this. And this is a statement. To walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments, his testimonies, and his statutes. There are little differences in all three of those things. With all of his heart and all of his soul. To perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book, in this book, right? It's still our standard today. It will always be our standard. It will always be the thing that we go back to. He says, to this book and all the people join in the covenant. The leader went first. By the way, the, the church in our culture, the church fails first and the church fails first because leaders fail first. Because leaders fail first. And then when leaders fail first, churches fail and people follow. That's why one of the strategies for reforming culture has to be retraining our spiritual leaders. Has to be. Because uh, then as leaders go, then churches will go. and And then whole congregations will go. And Josiah here is teaching us something important. Reformation can't happen just because of a couple of people or a couple of leaders. Reformation has to be an uprising of the entire body. And so Josiah says, I'll go first. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, I'm all in. I am in heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's saying, God, you're all that I want. Uh, In our modern language, I would say it this way. What Josiah was saying is, I'm not going to straddle some kind of line between what is biblical, true, orthodox Christianity, and what is the world. He says, we're not going to straddle. We're going to run from the opposite. We're going to run from that. We're not going to try to mirror the world anymore. And what Church Inc., Church Incorporated, what it tried to do is it tried to to create an environment under the guise of bringing people in that you could have a little bit of the best of both but if you uh, eventually if you hung around here in the middle then eventually you would love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and then we got to 2020 when it actually mattered and we realized the system didn't work it didn't work and all of the people, uh, so many of the people that were grown up in this, it was like the parable of the sower was just happening out in front of us, and the world was just plucking up seed. And then so many fell. So many fell. Churches, entities, the whole thing. Right? And Josiah said, no, 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 no. No, no, If you want to do this right, you've got to go all in. You don't get to straddle a middle ground. This is not the time. Not that there is ever a time, but this is not the time for confused Christianity. This is not the time where either, and let me hit two, either theologically or, or in your actions. Some of you, you're, you're in on like the, theolo- the theology stuff. You're like, I, I don't believe the, 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 the theology that is, that is unorthodox. I'm, I'm out, I've rejected that. But some of us, we still are in our practice let me, let me hit here for a second. You, you would say, yes, no, theologically I'm in. W- what about practically? Does your life align with the fullness of Scripture? Are you being obedient? Or are you saying, no, theologically I'm in. Yes, okay, but I still get to do whatever I want practically. You're still straddling it too, friend. You might not be straddling it theologically, but you are when it comes to your sexual ethic. You are when it comes to your financial outlook. You are when it comes to the way you use your language. You're still stratified. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You've got to abandon it both theologically and practically, or and personally. Say, no, 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 I'm all in. I'm all into everything it says. This is the time for Christians who look and say, I want all that the Bible has and nothing that the world has. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. That's what Josiah said. He said, we got to go all in here, people. He said, we've gotten away. We've got to reform. We've got to reform back to the word of God. And the only way if you're referring back to the word of God is just to jump all in. And so that's what Josiah did, and that's how he led the church, uh, or the nation of Israel to do it. And what I'm suggesting, if you're following my thesis here this morning, what I'm suggesting is that the church as a whole, as a nation, was kind of straddling this line, and what it needs to do is start moving its way back. And as I look over the last six years, I actually tracked this out and kind of chartered it out um, as the Holy Spirit has led us over the last six years. And again, like I said earlier, some of us, some of you might want us to move faster. Some of you might would say, uh, you move too fast. And there have been stops along the way, by the way, when the Holy Spirit was leading us, okay? I'm wearing my Revere shirt this morning. Uh, do you know that last year we lost some people in the church when we announced that we were starting a college? They left. They, they, they said, nope, it's too far. I'm out, right? And, uh, and, and we just looked at each other as elders. we were like, okay, like this is what God has called us to do. And if you can't, if you, if you can't go with us, that's fine, but God has called us to do it, right? Um, I don't think anybody left over the Mayflower unless they got like a bad tomato. I don't know, but you, someone can tell me, right? Then, then the next step was like God calling us to, to, to raise our voices when it comes to things like issue one, right? And I don't know if we've lost people, but I can also tell you I don't care if we've lost people, right, over this kind of stuff. Why? Because we're following his spirit. We're following his spirit. And by the way, here's the beautiful, amazing thing, that as we have made these moves, following the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the Word of God and our leadership as a church, that what has happened, and this is just by God's blessing, that what has happened is we have not gotten smaller and quieter, we've actually gotten larger and a higher voice. Praise God for that. It could have been the opposite. It could have been the opposite, right? Like, this morning could have been Tom Frank and I flipping pancakes and saying, well, this is fun, Right? Like just the three of us back, because Tom said he would never quit. Right, Tom? Right. Okay. But God's added to it. And by the way, we've we're going to keep using the voice that God has given us. This Wednesday, I think we're at like seventy pastors that are registered for the issue one lunch that we're put foot in the bill for as a church. Okay, and so keep praying for that. I'm not even talking at it or anything. It's kind of fun. I'm like, on this shadow mission, I don't think anyone knows that we had anything to do with it. It's great. And I was like, y'all can just pretend because everyone knows who I am. They know my voice. They know how vocal that I am, right? And so I was like, listen, I'll just play in the background and try to get everybody in the room, okay? And it's been kind of fun right? Um, and, and, and we're going to see the message that we want to get out, get out, and it's really cool, guys. And, um, and I'm hopeful that next Sunday or two Sundays from now, there's going to be at least 100 churches in Northwest Ohio talking about issue one at the exact same time, okay? And we're just going to keep going, okay? All right, anyway, let me give you four steps practical steps as we're walking down this line, as we're running from this line, and we're walking this way. By the way, I had a really fun conversation from somebody who comes out of the complete other side. They would be on what you would call the traditional high church reformed uh, historical Christianity, and they're over here. And what's interesting is I've been talking to some of these guys, and they actually, even then, they're taking steps in. And it's like God is meeting his church in the middle. I'm talking to guys who years ago would have looked out at anything that wasn't the exact 100% Westminster confessional or whatever doctrine that they would adhere to, and they wouldn't partner with anybody unless they agreed with them on steps 1 through 700, right? And now they're actually looking out, and they're seeing that God is actually drawing them in from this side, and God is drawing this church in from that side, and there's going to be this beautiful meeting in the middle, I think, and it's going to be the first time in like 50 years where God's church actually gets stronger as it reforms rather than weaker, and I think that's really exciting, really exciting. And we're going to play our part in, uh, in what we can do. Let me give you four steps, four principles that need to remain present. Principle number one, and I think we have done these, by the way, but we always want to remind ourselves and we always want to be humble and we always want to check ourselves. Principle number one, we need to remove and reform. We need to remove product and performance-driven church with presence-driven church. Okay? That's number one. Let me read 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 says this. This is right at the end. This is, I always, whenever I teach on this, I always say, this is a good day at church. Okay? It's a good day at church. It's after a prayer that Solomon prayed to dedicate the temple, and this is what happens after the prayer. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. That's a good day at church. I'm still waiting for that one. I don't know if we need the fire, like the actual fire, but we'll take the fire of the Holy Spirit, right? And what happened? At the end of service, at the end of the church service here, where everybody is doing what? Walking out going, man, I feel great. This is awesome. That last song was killer, no, at the end of church that day, everybody was lying on the ground before the holy presence of the Lord going, he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. That's a good day at church, friends. And, 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 and part of the system of Church Inc., I, I know this because I was chief sinner, trained in it. The part of the system of Church Inc. was you never let people walking out not feeling awesome. Because you've got to play the moving song at the end so that it manipulates their emotions into thinking that it was a good experience. Because then they'll want to come back and get some more. Man, there are Sundays when we leave here, and it kind of feels like a funeral. And I'm all right, because some of y'all need some things that need to die in you. Okay? And so you need to put it to death. I don't need to feel that way every Sunday. There's joy in the Lord. I get it, right? But we can't be afraid of letting people walk out going, that one hurt. Yeah, my back has been hurt, and I've been getting some physical therapy. And guess what? Sometimes I walk out and I go, that hurt. But it also helped. I'm not doing my job if my role or our system up here is to manipulate your emotions into making you feel better about your fake or low-level Christianity. Okay. I kind of can't believe I just said that one. That just came out. Wow. I'm in. Let me say it another way. For some of you, I'd much rather you walk out of here in tears or with an anger look on your face and repent tonight than to walk out of here with a smile saying, hey, I'll be back next week to not change again. the entire system of Church Inc. was geared toward, don't worry about people changing, worry about them showing up. And the idea was, if they show up long enough, they'll change. Guess what 2020 showed us? No, they won't. Because churches don't change people, God changes people. Understand? The gospel changes people. One of, the, one of the mantras of Church Inc. was this. You would see this all over. I saw every organization, every conference I went to, everything. I, you watch it on a live stream, and you'd see baptisms. And at the end of the baptism, they'd always say, blank and blank, Church Inc. changed my life. The mantra of Church Inc. was this the church is the hope of the world. No, it's not. Jesus is the hope of the world. The church is how God gets his message out, but Jesus is the hope of the world. He is who we need. We don't need an entity. We don't need an organization. Let me say it this way. You will love the church when you learn to love Jesus. The point is not to get people to love church so that they might end up loving Jesus. Whoo! That's a very necessary understanding. The point is not to get people to love church so that they might someday love Jesus. The point is to give them Christ, and naturally then they will have a love and an affinity for the body of Christ. I will say this too. I don't believe that the world has rejected church. I believe that the world has rejected church, Inc. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. So how do we do this? We have to be presence-driven. What does this mean? Three statements that I would give you. Number one, we got to keep things simple but meaningful. And around here, we try to keep things simple but meaningful. And, and yeah, I get it. We have some lights, and, and you know, there's a stage, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and buildings aren't bad, and, uh, and, and places to gather aren't bad. But we, we try to keep things as simple uh, and efficient as we can. And so what do we do on Sunday morning? What do we do? We read the Bible. We pray. I preach. And we sing songs that elevate Jesus. That's it. And then we do it again next week. And we don't have a lot of flair Like some of you are like, wow, they switched up announcements. Wow, big change. Okay? (laughs) Woo! Cost us $12 million to do that. It's got to remain Bible-based, not self-help focused. People still, cracks me up. Stephen, I just really like that you preach out of the Bible. If you're doing it out of anything else, it's not preaching. It's just talking. And it's got to be Jesus-centered, Jesus-centered, not church ink focused okay? It's got to be about Christ. It's always got to be about Jesus. Hey, one little step that we're going to take as a church, as we're kind of inching following the Holy Spirit here, starting in November, we're going to start doing, and we're just going to try this out for a couple months, okay? We're going to try it out for a couple months. We'll see, see what, what God is speaking to us as we do it. And we're going to start doing a once-a-month communion service on Sunday morning. So we're actually going to do communion on Sunday morning. We're going to make it kind of a part of the service. Uh, We'll we'll do everything else that we always do, okay? We'll have to tighten some things up a little bit because we'll make communion more of a part of our service on that particular day. But we're going to start doing this once a month, okay? And uh, this is what I would look at it like, uh, it, it's like on, on one particular Sunday, um, we're going to go on like a little carnivore or paleo diet, okay? We're going we're to take a step back in and say, let, let, let's, man, let's even get a little bit more, what did they used to do when they got together, okay? And so, we're just going to take a step this way. We're even going to strip down the music a little bit on those days, okay? We'll still have a full, like there's going to be like a four-piece band, and, and we're just going to strip it down a little bit, okay? Why? We're just taking a step in, taking a step in, under the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, okay? Number two, or second thing, second thing. i want time to shine bright. Well, you know what? We don't have a parking problem. I can go all day. All right, here we go. <laughs> never mind, some of you, never mind. Okay, step two. We have to remove social club community with family and, and, and replace it or reform it with family-like devotion. Acts 242, famous passage. Acts 2.42, famous passage here, uh, and it talks about the, just the, the, the community and the nature and the body of Christ. I'll preach to this one a little bit quickly. Acts 2.42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So if you ask, me, well, why do you do what we do on Sunday morning? Apostles' teaching, right? Uh, to the fellowship, right? To the breaking of bread. That's communion. That's why we're going to start doing that once a month, right? And the prayers. And and that's what they did when they got together. So that's why we do what we do when we get together, okay? And so we've got to replace social club community with family-like devotion. And I don't think we have social club community around here. I really do think we've got family-like devotion. I've shared this story before, Uh, I think it was five, six years ago now, we were sitting around, there were 56 volunteers at the church at that time, and uh, now we have like 200-something, and there were 56 volunteers, and we were all in a room together, and I asked everybody to write down three words on a piece of paper without any prompting, without any teaching, write down three words that you think describe this church, because we were trying to kind of figure out our identity, and uh, my numbers might be a little foggy because it was a while ago, but out of the 56 people in the room, 52 of them, and one of the three words, wrote the word family without any prompting. We read it and go, okay. I guess God's done something here. And church is a family. It's not a social club. It's not a club. It's not a club. And when, when, when church is a, a social club, and some of us have been in this, um, uh, you, you felt it. You felt the club like nature because you walked in the room, and you looked around, and you go like, I don't think anybody wants me to be here. Like, you felt it when you walked in the room. Or you're like, I'm not, uh, I, I don't fit the mold here. We have one mold, one mold. Are you a breathing human being loved by God? Not, are you this, are you this, are you this, are you that? Everyone is invited to experience redemption. We say this all the time. Everyone's invited to experience redemption. Everyone is also invited to be changed by redemption. Okay? I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. You're welcome here, but then you're also welcome to be changed by the gospel. We, you can't have a mold. You can't have like a, just one size or like one like one type. No, that, that, that's club-like. And, and, and to be non-club-like, what we have to do is we have to have this invitite, invit, uh, inviting environment. We do this really well, and I, would just, I want us to continue this. I don't care who walks through that door. Smile at them. And welcome them in. Hospitality. We've got to practice hospitality. That's how you move from family-like to club-like, right? You practice hospitality, and I would encourage all of us to get really good at hospitality. Invite people into the body. Invite people over for dinner, okay? And it doesn't have to be me, right? Like, out there. I can't say yes to 60 dinners, so make friends. Get to know each other, invite people in, create that family-like environment. Isn't there, you know, by the way, when the difference between social club and family matters most? When you're going through it. What do you do in a club if somebody goes through it? You distance yourself. You go, whoa, we don't want you to give the club a bad name. Don't, Don't tell people you go here. Let's kick them out of the club. know, when you need family the most is when you're going through it the hardest. That's when family proves that it's family, and that is also when church is at its best, right? So, family-like, not club-like, not club-like. By the way, one way you do this is when you describe our church to people. Don't fall into this temptation. If you ask me, hey, Stephen, tell me about your family, and I said, well, it's about 2,000 square feet, four, four rooms, two bathrooms, Half-finished basement. They'd look at me quizzically and go, you're describing your family? Yeah. Sounds like you described your house. Oh, yeah, and there's people in there. If we wouldn't describe our families by our houses, let's not describe our churches by our buildings. When someone asks me, Stephen, tell me about your church. I don't need to start off with, oh, it's 24,000 square feet. We've just redone a whole bunch of it. Uh, We have a really great band, and we sit on 20 acres. Now, where i like to start is this. It's the most amazing, gracious, kind, and generous people. We are multi-generational and multi-denominational. We stick with each other through thick and thin. We haven't said no to one legitimate need in the history of our church when people are going through it. And we are a family who is relentlessly committed to each other. Oh, and we have a building out in Monclova. That's, That's church. That's church. Number three, third statement is this. We had to reform big budgets toward bigger buildings and people, and by people I mean salaries, and more money to impact and generosity. Buildings are not bad. We have one. And families have houses, right? Church families need buildings. Buildings are not bad. I will say this. I do think you get to a point where a building can actually be very poor stewardship or even sinful if the um, commitment to the relentless commitment to building bigger buildings, building bigger ministries, building uh, more staff um, actually deters you and stops you from being able to take care of the needs within the church family. And I think we've seen this. I think we've gotten, we've seen a church uh, in general so addicted to bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more and more that enslaved now to its building, it can no longer serve its function as the body. We have to reject that. We have to reject that. We have to reject that mindset and we have to reject that as a church. By the way, that is why we as a church, we're just going to keep practicing what we call get money right, be generous always, be efficient always, and be transparent always. And that's our obligation. We've been doing it for seven years, and we're going to do it for the next seven. And we might build a, bu- a new building someday. We might have to add on. Who knows, right? Uh, who knows what God has in store? And if we do, we'll lay it all out in front of you, and we'll show you why it is in no way going to negate our ability, negate our ability to, um, to, to serve the needs within our church and to continue to make an impact. There's, this will be a conversation for another day, but there's a shift that needs to happen in the church where we move away from just bigger church to bigger impact. Bigger, not just, big, not just more people in one room, but more impact in a community. And um, this is why as a church we practice things like, like even starting Revere. Like 10 years ago in Church Inc., if you would have told me, oh, a school is jumping into education, I would have said, what a horrible idea. It'll sidetrack you away from the entity. It'll sidetrack you away from Sunday morning. It'll sidetrack you away from being able to reach new people and getting them into the building. It's a bad idea. It's mission drift. That's when the mission is creating a bigger church. When the mission is reaching people for the gospel, it makes perfect sense, right? And so you just follow the Holy Spirit, and you follow the Holy Spirit. And when you're not addicted to a big building, by the way, you have money to be able to do these kind of things. When you're not addicted to a bigger building, you have money to uh, look at a group of pastors and say, we'll foot the bill for everyone for lunch. When you're not addicted to bigger buildings, you have the ability to look at somebody who's in need and say, yeah, we can step up and help. We got to get that right we got to continue to get it right. By the way, I use this in a different way. This is actually the second reason why we don't serve coffee around here. So if you're wondering when that's coming, it's not. Early on in our church, we had a choice to make. Fund our family fund or buy coffee. And we decided then and there that we would rather give money to those who are in need than coffee to make us more comfortable in church. And now, we could afford both, but we just do it anyway to remind ourselves. So every time you sit in here uncaffeinated, remember, remember there's a good reason. Or just bring your own coffee. It's another option. Number four, we have to remove and reform cogs in a machine with partners in the gospel. Part of the strategy of Church Inc. was you get as many people in as you can and then what you do is you, you bring them in, and, and they're kind of like crazy things. Like, like there would be these, like, like you're getting engaged in a church, and, and you would spend more time taking a personality test than you would in the Word of God. Like what, what are we doing right now? The Myers-Briggs is not the Bible. Sorry to blow up some of your minds. It's not. It's not. And there was this system in place, and the idea was you get the person into the system, and then you run them through this thing, and then what they do is then they just serve this little purpose in the body. And, uh, and, and serving the purpose in the body. And listen, some of you, it is your spiritual gift to stand out at the front door and to create a welcoming and warm environment. It really is, okay? Um, and, and like, but, but for many people who are even greeters, like, you're just serving a role, and it's awesome that you do. And can I tell you something? God has more for you than just that. Like, it's not just about being a cog in a machine. It's about a becoming a full-fledged partner in the gospel. And so that's why in 2024, by the way, we're going to release a partnership level two, where we're going to talk about not just how do you engage around here, but how do you now step into what Ephesians 4 calls being equipped for ministry? Because when the body of Christ is at its best, the, pre, pre, uh, the, the primary amount of work of ministry is not happening from people that are paid, but happening from the, the congregation, fully working out your spiritual gifts, fully working out who God has called you to be. And this is the kind of body of Christ then that when we have these crisis moments is strong enough to see the temptation of falling into the abyss and not doing it and running in back to the middle. And what I believe that God is doing right now is he is circling his church up from both sides of, of, of I don't know if this is the aisle here, but whatever this is, both sides, both poles, and he's bringing it back in, and he's strengthening it to equip the saints now uh, for a reformation of his church. And I do believe, by God's grace, that church will look different 10, 20, 30, 40 years as he's pulling us back into what it was supposed to be like. And why is this important? We know it is important because when church is done poorly, it can be the worst. And some of us, we have seen this, right? We have seen church full of gossip and slander. We have seen it more about performance than presence. We have seen it elevate the organization over individuals. We have seen it being more about growing a brand than growing the kingdom. We have seen it void of Holy Spirit power, but really good at man-made manipulation. We have seen selfish men and women at the helm of it, using it to elevate themselves instead of the gospel. And we have seen it lead to division, dissension, and despair, but many of us. And by God's grace, I would say many of us have experienced this over the last six or seven years. We have seen church at its best. And when church is at its best, it's amazing because God uses it to change us and the hurting are healed and the lost are being found and the city is being served and the presence of God shows up in power and there is the head of the church and it's God, not a man, and there is unity among the people. That's one of the most beautiful things in our body across division, uh, across things that typically divide. God brings us into unity. The kingdom is advanced and a family on a mission is formed. That's church at its best. That's church at its best. And I guess why we're preaching this message is this. We want to keep walking that way. We want to keep being drawn and led and held in by the Holy Spirit into what he has for us in the future. And if you look and you go, man, Stephen, I just see it way differently. I see it way differently. Then I've got two things for you. Number one, pray carefully. Pray carefully and see if God would have you change. Or number two, pray carefully and see where God would have you exit to because we love what God is doing here. We're excited about it, and we're walking in unity, and Satan loves division, and so we ain't gonna let him ruin a good thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you care about your church so much that you have reformed it over the centuries, but you have held the principles at the bottom and you have used your church so mightily. And Father, we want to see you do that again in a broken culture, in a broken world where truth is stumbled in the public squares. And so I pray that you would continue to form your body here, hold us together, help us to walk in unity, help us to walk in humility, and help us to follow you wherever you might take us. And Father, there are things 10 years down the road that we might look at right now and say, we would never do that. And then we'll get there and we'll go, this is exactly what we're going to do because your spirit has led us, because it is your ideas, your thoughts, not ours. And Father, I pray for each individual to understand for themselves, to walk in this, just like Josiah said, to covenant all in to what it is that you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. For more information, you can visit Experience Redemption on Instagram or Facebook for updates, service times, and ways you can get connected. Want to partner and support the work of Redemption Church? You can give online at experienceredemption.com slash give online to explore your giving options. We also stream services on both YouTube and Facebook Live. So be sure to join us and share your experience. Thanks for checking out the podcast. We will see you soon.